Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Lead Gem podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the managing director of Bright Vision as well as host of this podcast. In today's podcast episode, we have the honor to have Jay Bayer, marketing expert, owner of the firm Convince and Convert, and a thought leader within content marketing as one of many things with us. Jay will discuss and talk with us about how to succeed with relevant content marketing. So welcome to today's podcast, Jay. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here. I'm so honored to have you. And I'm so interested in discussing those kind of things with you. Since I know you have so much good content for us. <laughs> so before we start out, maybe you can give us a little bit of background and, and tell us about yourself and how you become such an experienced expert in, in especially content marketing. You know, I, I have the good fortune of having been in this industry since it was an industry. I started in digital marketing in 1993 when domain names were still free. You, you could go get whatever domain name you want uh, and not pay anything for it because it was so long ago that nobody even wanted to have a website. Like, what would I, what would I do with something like that? <laughs> it was so long ago that my partners and I, in my very first internet company in 1993, we sold the domain name Budweiser.com, which is the number one brand of beer here in the States, to Anheuser-Busch Brewing, uh, the, the company that makes that beer, uh, for 50 cases of beer. We sold the domain name for 50 <laughs> cases of beer. Uh, and, and we genuinely thought that we got a really good deal. We were like, that's a lot of beer. We, we felt like that was a, a strong negotiation on our side. So one of the ways that, that uh, I have been able to have some measure, I guess, of recognition in this industry is that I've just never gone away, right? I, I tell people I only have made two good decisions in my life. One is convincing my wife to marry me, and it did take some convincing. And second is getting involved in, in digital at the very beginning and having the good sense to to stay involved. So it's interesting for me because I've, I have, every time something happens in the industry, I feel like I have seen that before, right? I, I remember when email was invented as a, as a communications tactic for business. I remember when Google was invented. I remember when paid search was invented and banner ads and social, and of course, content marketing and YouTube and videos. And it, it's the same, it's the same pattern that just repeats itself over and over. Something new happens and people, you know, kick the tires on it and, and, and test it. And then it becomes a larger part of their overall marketing mix until the next thing comes along. Uh, so it's, it, it's been now almost 30 years. It feels a lot shorter. Um, but looking back, it's extraordinary how much things have changed in the aggregate. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting ride you've been on since, I mean, digital marketing have, as you said, gone from nothing to a huge industry with so many inventions and so forth. So really exciting uh, 
ride you've been on there. And somewhere along the way, you you also uh, decided to start in, you know, branch off on your own and started Convince and Convert. And how did you choose that name? And why is the, what's the background to that? I started Convince and Convert uh, in 2008. I had a, a previous digital strategy firm that I sold. And when my contract was up with the combined organization, I started Convince and Convert. The reason it's called Convince and Convert, and nobody ever asked me this, is because the original plan for the organization was to do conversion rate optimization, landing page optimization, uh, A-B tests, that, that kind of work. I'd done a fair bit of that work earlier in my career, and I enjoy the math part of that. But I had a blog, started a blog in 2008. And every time I wrote a blog post about uh, conversion rate optimization, nobody read it. Mm. And every time I wrote a blog post about content marketing or social media, everybody read it. So I thought, I don't need a sophisticated market research organization to tell me <laughs> that there is a lot more interest in content marketing and social media marketing than there is in conversion rate optimization. And so I set that aside. Uh, and that's why Convince and Convert now does uh, digital strategy, content strategy, social strategy uh, for many of the most um, iconic brands in the world. But that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was to do uh, uh, conversion rate testing, which is why the company is called Convince and Convert. Ah, okay. Well, interesting. And uh, I mean, it's a great name. It's it sounds really really good. But uh, yeah, I was just curious <laughs> on that story. And, and on that path, you're still on. And that's so interesting because you have also, during the years, become a content marketing expert, you know, putting out books and a lot of content, talking on big, uh, <laughs> before COVID, uh, <laughs> right. exhibitions and, and yes. summits and so forth, of course. Yes. And, and, and um, so, so I think let's dive into that topic a bit today and, and pick your brain on that. So sure. one of your things you talk a lot about in your books and content is, is how to succeed with content marketing. What, mm -hmm. what is your definition of succeeding with content marketing? What it would be interesting to hear. Well, I'll tell you first what it's not. And, and that is a contest to create as much content as possible. Mm. Too often, especially now, I find circumstances where people think activity is a success metric. That they report to their boss Look how many blog posts we made. Look how many podcast episodes we produced. And, and that doesn't, that's just, that's an expense, not, not a benefit. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that, that content marketing at its core is really about the creation of information or entertainment by a business for one purpose and one purpose only, which is to change the thinking and or the behaviors of customers or potential customers. Hmm. So ultimately, what I like to say is the goal is not to be good at content marketing. The goal is to be good at business because of content marketing. And I think we lose sight of that fact sometimes, that, that content is in service of a business goal not a, a content goal. So ultimately, when I think about success, it's, it's does this content drive interest? Does it drive people deeper into 
a purchase funnel doesn't help with customer retention. And in our firm, Convince and Convert, when we work with brands on content strategy, in fact, we're doing this right now for a big B2B organization, we are very devoted to making sure that company understands every time a piece of content is created, there has to be a rationale for that. Mm. We actually have a framework that we use um, that, that almost a, almost a pre, pre-production checklist, if you will, where we say, all right, what, what audience is this content for? What behaviors do we want them to do after consuming this content? What questions does it ask? And when you have that sort of methodology, it prevents you from getting involved in what I think is the most dangerous part of content marketing today, which is random acts of content. Hmm. People consistently are just sort of making content uh, and, and hoping that it succeeds. And it might, it might, you might get lucky, hmm. but you won't succeed long-term with that approach you need to have a plan and then use content to fulfill that plan. Uh, it's so true. And uh, sounds really logical uh, when you hear it <laughs> explained in this way, but, but I know it's so hard to do this, uh, uh, you know, on a day to day basis, staying, uh, staying on track and so forth. So, yes. Uh, and I also know there's, you know, a, a discussion probably in the, the, the classic quality versus quantity uh conflict there yeah where do you say you should be on that scale should you be leaning towards fewer and higher quality of course uh but you know how far should you go towards the quantity what is there any rule of thumb or how do you handle that with clients when they ask i don't know that there's a rule of thumb necessarily um and i don't know that 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 there is a shared definition of quality that can be applied in every case either. Sometimes when you say, is this, is this quote unquote quality content, people think, well, is it comprehensive and, and, and lengthy, if you will? Mm. And I don't know that that's necessarily in all cases a good barometer. Mm. There's lots of really high quality short form content and there's also really terrible long form content. So it's not so much about, about size, uh, but there is um, a, a production value uh, quantity in in every piece of content, and and I don't think there is a a rule of thumb. However, what I would say is, in general, the higher in the purchase funnel you are targeting this content, the higher quality it needs to be, because. If this is the first or second time that the prospect has become familiar with your company, with your products and services, you're probably going to want to have a very strong first impression at that point to prevent them from seeking out other alternatives. As you get deeper in the consideration funnel and the questions that those prospects ask are more specific, the content wins, quote unquote, not necessarily because it's high quality, but because it's highly relevant. So I would argue that, that the broader content should be higher production value. 
And then as you get closer and closer to a sale and even post sale, it doesn't have to be as high quality because the most important thing at that point is saying, oh yes, this is exactly what I was looking for. This answers my question precisely. It, it's, more about, it's more about alignment than it is about amazing somebody with how good your video is. Yeah, sounds really uh, true. Uh, uh, I suppose it's hard to get that, you know, algorithm-based answer to that question. So I totally agree. It's a lot about uh, alignment uh, primarily. So great, great answer to a hard question. Thank you. <laughs> One concept you were also talking about in your in your content, your own content and, and thoughts uh, is, is the courage uh, to do content. And, and what do you refer to when you, when you say that you need to be, have courage to succeed with content marketing? Well, if you think about the history of content marketing, at one point you could succeed because you were first. There wasn't all of this content created for every conceivable topic. So at one point, being early was a success factor. And then that started to fade away as almost all the topics had been exploited. And then it became a scenario where you could um, succeed with content because you were better at playing the algorithm game, right? You could make it more search friendly, uh, make it more popular for Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. You could, you could be better at that than your competition. Hmm. And I think largely that advantage has faded away because most people know the same tricks now. And then to your point earlier, there was an era where you could perhaps um, succeed with content because your approach was um, maybe higher quality or a different format. So for example, if uh, in your industry, there's lots and lots of blogs and articles about a particular topic, but you were the first one to do a lot of video or audio content about that topic, you could succeed because you were the first in that format. But that's also no longer viable in most circumstances because everybody has done it. So today, the audience is the algorithm. Today, the only way your content will truly succeed is if your audience helps you share it. They have to be behind it. They have to tell their friends about the content in some form or fashion or their colleagues, very important in B2B. And that's why today, I believe that content that succeeds is content that must be courageous. It has to be bold in some way. You either have to invest more time, money, and effort than you think you should to make it higher quality, or invest more time, money, effort to make it hyper-relevant, which is sort of the ABM approach, or invest time, money, effort to make it um, emotionally resonant and impactful. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, uh, sad or funny or it, it, it creates some kind of emotions. But this idea that you can just write a good white paper today and put it online and that will succeed as a content marketing strategy, in almost every case, it simply will not. You need, you need more than that. Uh, and, and I think that the secret ingredient now is, is courage. And most organizations, especially in B2B, don't have it. They just don't. They're not set up that way, right? They're not set up to take chances. They're set up to play it safe. Um, and that's why most B2B content succeeds kind of. Yeah, that's, that's the truth.
interesting. And uh, yeah, I suppose that's a, that's a hard thing to, for a B2B company to, to actually implement courage, uh, I, I suppose. <laughs> we have to test it, right? And, and that's, that's, you know, you can't walk into your boss and say, go get some courage. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> what you can do is convince your boss to let you take a chance on one or two things and, and, and add uh, resonance or specificity or humor or production value or something else that makes that content stand out and then demonstrate that that approach works, that, that it does create thinking change and behavior change and leads and clicks and sales and whatever you're measuring. Um, what I like about digital and why I got in this business so long ago is that it is measurable. Everything is testable. Mm. And if you don't do that, then you're not really using the medium to its full advantage. I used to be uh, in politics. I started in politics when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I ran political campaigns. And I loved politics because at the end of the day, you either win or you lose. There yeah. is no ambiguity in politics, in electoral politics, obviously. True. And that's what I like about digital. Um, I can tell you whether or not this content succeeded. And I can test if it will succeed better if I make a change this way or that way. That is possible, but significantly more difficult in radio, television, outdoor. It's possible, but time, in, time intensive and expensive in direct mail. All the different types of marketing that I was in before I got into digital, you can test those too, but it's just way harder and way more expensive and way more time consuming. And I don't think there is enough... Um, testing and math in content marketing today. I think too many people view content as some sort of a fine arts project. Like, like, you know, they could be a novelist, but instead they're doing content marketing. And, and this is a science just as much, if not more so than it's an art, especially in B2B when you start talking about ABM and, and very specific content executions. And, and so if you really want to succeed with content, number one, be courageous. And number two, go take a statistics course. Yeah, that's so uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, that will probably frighten a few uh, writers <laughs> hearing that. But I, I totally agree. It's so important to measure. And talking about measurement, I mean, our listeners are primarily practitioners, <clears throat> B2B marketing practitioners, uh, driving leads and, you know, trying to convert and so forth. So it would be very tactical now. What do you think about gated content? when should you use it and how should you convert and what's your best tips on that side? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. We, we constantly argue about this, even in my own organization with my own strategy team. I, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it is, I'm fine with gating content as long as two things are true. First, that the payoff for the prospect is sufficient. If you're going to gate something in a world where almost all information is free, what's on the other side of that gate better be worth it. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, that person's not coming back. So just make sure that you have 
content that is courageous enough or relevant enough or special enough or frankly valuable enough to ask them to make that trade. Because if you think about it from your perspective, if you were the consumer Mm. and you had to provide your information to access that, how would you feel? Would you feel like that's a good trade? That's the first thing. The second thing is, and this I, I find all the time to be a problem. If you are going to collect information in order for people to access a content asset, you better have a plan for what you're going to do with that information. And so often I find that people gate a piece of content, collect a bunch of leads, and then only after the leads have been collected, do they say, you know what we should do? We should nurture these leads somehow. We should come up with something that send them. And it's like, bro, you got to figure that out before the gate and the content is created, not after. So the, the gated content asset, that, that piece has to be just the beginning of an entire sequence that you figure out and treat as one content campaign. So the gate is just one piece of a multi-step process, but too often operationally, tactically, people think of the gated content as one thing and the nurture sequence is another thing and may even be run by different departments in some cases. And then to the prospect, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel synced up at all. It feels really awkward. Uh, and, and that's why people end up not converting as many leads as they think they probably could. So those are the two circumstances where I think it makes sense. Make sure it's valuable and then make sure you actually have a solid nurture sequence after the fact. In general, however, I do like the approach of gating at the end. The way that works is, is you give somebody an asset, high quality asset, without gating it. And then at the conclusion of that piece, you say, would you like us to send you three pieces of content that other people have found most valuable after consuming this piece of content? If so, please provide your name, address, email address, and we'll send that content to you right now. So you're gating it at the end and only people who are super interested are going to say, yes, I want more of that. Does that reduce your total number of MQLs and SQLs? Absolutely. But it increases the quality of those leads. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, we all struggle with uh, driving quality leads and not only the quantity. So if that's working, that's a golden nugget tip for everybody listening in here. So great, great. Well, thing. I mean, look, the reality is if, you, if your measurement's good and your sales and marketing integration is on point, number of leads should never even be reported. Because who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Ultimately, what matters is how many people gave us money. Absolutely. And how much money did they give us? Ultimately, number of leads is just, is just a, a, a metric that leads to an actual benefit. And that's why I think too many people get excited about number of leads and marketers are, are asked to produce a set number of leads for sales. And, and I always say, well, if I could give you half as many leads to follow up on, and, and those people would convert twice as much because they're more qualified. Would you want that? Half as many leads, t- double conversion rate, 100% of the time, they say yes. So yeah. why don't we go do that? Yeah, that's a, that's and if you think great. your goal is to generate leads, you've got to rethink your goals. Mm. Yeah. 
fantastic comment <laughs> it's so obvious when you say it but it's uh so hard when you sit in the meetings and the manager say hey how many lanes do we have <laughs> right so yeah great great feedback now everybody knows what to answer when that question comes up in the meetings <laughs> that's why we recorded the podcast you can just play it just play it through your speakers <laughs> great great content uh, uh there so um I know there's so much going on in the content marketing area. It's so big and so wide, but is there any big trend in the B2B marketing space that you would like to highlight the audience on that this is something we should have on our radar for the coming year or so that we might try? Let's see about that. Um, I, I don't know that there's anything really progressive that I think you need to try that maybe you're not familiar with. Mm. I think 2021 will be largely a holding pattern from a tactical standpoint. Mm. Um, and that's okay. People ask me all the time, like, Hey Jay, what's the next big thing? And I always answer the same way. The next big thing is doing today's big thing better. Mm -hmm. And that's what you should focus on. Right? You shouldn't focus on new, you should focus on better. Yeah. Um, that being said, in B2B in particular, we're seeing a larger and larger share of budgets go towards account-based marketing and hyper-relevant content and saying, hey, let's don't just make one white paper, let's make 50 versions of that white paper, one for each of our um, identified target customers. We'll see more and more of that. And and what's interesting is that the ability to to promote that kind of hyper-relevant content using uh, ABM systems like Terminus, et cetera, the, the ability to promote it is actually better right now than the ability to create it. Mm. Uh, you know, what, what we're struggling with, what a lot of people are struggling with is, yeah, this makes perfect sense. You know, if we're, if we're trying to sell um, to Sony, we should make content that says, hey, Sony, here's the solution. That, yes, got it. But how do, we, how do we make all that content targeted like that at scale? How do we make 50 versions of the ebook um, quickly? And so there are some software solutions for that, but it's not quite there yet. So to me, that's the, that's the next big uh, move in B2B content is, is software solutions and other tactics to be able to scale uh, hyper-relevant content. And obviously salespeople love that because if you give them those assets, that are customized for a prospect that makes their job a lot easier. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and that's, that's a tough, <laughs> tough thing to, to solve. So let's focus on that for the coming year, how to do things done today even better and, and maybe get those cool technologies that's around now to actually work for us and not only suck our money. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Jay, it's, there's so much things I could continue to chat with you about for the next uh, couple of hours and so interesting answers, but I know you're a busy guy and we need to get on with your business as well. And, and but I'm sure our audience have a lot of uh, interest in, in reading more about your content and your firm and so forth. So if they would like to get more of you and your IDs, where could we send them? Best place to go is our main site, convinceandconvert.com. That's convinceandconvert.com. We have more than 3,000 uh, articles and pieces of content for 
content marketers, uh, digital marketers, business owners, and managers. Uh, we also have a podcast that I host called Social Pros, which is all about uh, enterprise social media uh, marketing and, and best practices uh, in that arena. That's great. So we'll be sure to have that in the show notes as well. So with that said, Jay, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for uh, giving us all your uh, insights and ideas and best practices around content marketing. And I wish you all the best with Convince and Convert. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Delighted to be on the show. Uh, wish everybody a fantastic uh, end of the year. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.